But, you know, we've, we're talking about this kind of this relationship series, right? And we talked about last week about Christ being at the center of our relationships. If we want to have successful relationships, right, we have to have Christ in the middle of it. Well, this week we're going to transition into talking about a mission-driven relationship. Ever have that thought of just like, you, you know, you got to have purpose, right? You got to have purpose. If you are married and you don't have any purpose, right, what are you going to do all the time? Nothing, right? There's nothing in between you. And when we put allow Jesus in there, we allow this mission to come in there. And I, and I wanted to read a couple of quotes that I found this week that I thought were really interesting. And... Um, First one is by C.S. Lewis, and I actually have them up here on the screen today, uh, Gabe, that we can put those in. This first one is by C.S. Lewis, who's an acclaimed author, great man of God. But this is what he says, says, we may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he, that is God, is determined to carry out quite a different plan. To shrink back from that plan, get this, is not humility, I'm going to hurt somebody's heart right here, but that's okay. It's laziness and cowardice. To submit is not conceit or megalomania. It's obedience. I found this second quote. And I thought this was interesting. By John Bevere. And I want you to hear this. He, that's Satan, will do whatever he can to divide our unions and load them with seemingly unbearable trials. I was talking to somebody this week and they felt that way. I won't mention who that was. With seemingly unbearable trials. Having vision for our unions and faith that God will bring us through difficulties empowers us with hope to, counter, to counter his assaults. The key is to remember that we're fighting for God's purpose, whom we're fighting against, that's Satan, and who is on our side, God's spirit. I got to tell you, folks, we are in a battle for our relationships, for our spouses, for our children, for our parents. We are in a battle, and let me tell you, Satan will not hesitate to pull any punch that he can. And that is the reason why it, we, we want to talk about relationships for the next few weeks is because God is at the very center of them. God is the very creator of the relationship. He had the first, we talked about that last week, right? The first relationship between he and Adam. He is the creator of that. And there's great importance in it. Well, you know me, it wouldn't be a story, wouldn't be a, a, a lesson without me telling a story. So a lot of you know I'm what's called a bivocational pastor. That's a fancy term for saying I don't work here full time. Uh, I work outside of, this, of the church, right? I, this is, if you will, my part-time job. But in my life, I've worked in distribution for a lot of years. So I, I was, anybody know what a production controller is? Production controller is the guy who sets the plans, right? So in part of my life outside of here, I've been a production controller. It's an interesting job. It's a lot of a headache. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it takes a lot. 
But I did this for several years in a, in a really, for a very large corporation, um, one of the largest in, in the world. And I worked in a, in, a, in a place that was about 1.5 million square feet. So I want you all to kind of get that in your head, how big that is. One, it would take me about, if I walked from one end of the building to the other end of the building, it took me almost 20 minutes to walk from one side of the building to the other, as if nobody ever stopped me. And we had about 500 people that worked at this particular location. And uh, we had multiple departments in there. We had five main departments. We had an inbound department, what was called a warehousing department. We had this small pack, small pack, I gotta get through, yeah, small pack. And then we had the outbound department along with the maintenance department. All of these had each and every day their own plan, right? Inbound knew that they had to do so much work per day because there was so many semis sitting outside. Warehousing knew that they had to put up so many pallets a day and pick so many pallets a day so that outbound, which was the people who loaded the trucks, could go ahead and have trucks to load, product to put on the trucks. Small pack knew that they had to break down so many boxes a day Put them into separate little boxes. You know, you don't want to send 10,000 toothbrushes to a store. You only want to send maybe, you know, 50, right? So that you got to break those down. And so each one of these departments had their own plan. And then there was me in my little office. And I had to look and take each and every person's plan. And I had to make it look a certain way and make it work a certain way. Because if all of our resources went to receiving, pot, receiving trucks, what happened to the outbound department? They had no trucks to load. If all we did was put up product, there would be no product to pick, right? That nobody would be picking product. And so my job in all of this was to create from all of those individuals, departments, one master plan and unite them all in a vision of supporting all of these stores that we did. So my job was to take the specialty of each one, bring it together, mold it together so that we could have one plan and be successful. A bad plan results in a really poor day for everybody but not just my 500 employees, for all the thousands of people that worked in the stores, for all of the customers that worked in the stores, that came into the stores. If no one had a master plan, what do we have? Chaos. And so when we look at today's lesson, we're gonna talk about God's master plan. Because without knowing the purpose we're intended for, just like at the distribution center, we'll have this mass chaos. Everybody going every which way but loose. No common thread, if you will. And God, let me tell you, this is the cool part, guys. God laid out this plan from the beginning at the beginning of his word. Very, very clearly. Last week we learned that Jesus has to be the center of our lives and we build, off the, we build off of that, right? But we have to know what he says is important for that. God has a plan for our marriages. That might surprise some of you. 
God has a plan for your marriage. God has a plan for the person you're dating and going to marry. God has a plan for your children. God has a plan for where you work. Right? This is, he has a plan for every relationship and every area that we go. Here's what Solomon wrote. I don't have this on the board, Gabe, so it's okay. I gave Gabe, just so you all know, I gave Gabe a little bit of a freak out last week. I'm sorry, I did not see the slides up there last week and how poorly they looked. On the computer, they looked great. Poor Gabe had to tell me after the service that I did not do such a good job. So Gabe, this is not up there. Proverbs 29:18 says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Kind of crazy, right? Last week, we talked about reflecting God's glory. And today, we're going to look at how practically, I love the practical. Anybody else like the practical? How God tells us that we can fulfill reflecting his glory. Anybody know what reflecting glory is? You don't have to say anything. But here's what, here's, here is the most simple definition I can come, come with. It's that we make God known. Our relationships, just like our own lives, should reflect and make God known. Does the guy you're dating, the woman you're married to, do they think that God shows up in you? Are you reflecting that? Does your children see the Father in you? That's a hard question to ask when we really think about it. So we're going to look at that mission of how do we make God known. And what's our part in the master plan? That's what we're going to look at today. Well, let's, let's pray. Let's give the Holy Spirit reign over this service. This is a hard message, to be honest. It's a hard message. But there's a lot of awesome stuff in here. Father, we just thank you today, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that breathes life this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you would just cause us to hear your words this morning, that we would know who you are this morning. Lord, that we would hear you speaking to us, and Lord, that we would learn how to make you known. God, that everything we do and every person we encounter, God, we would be, make it our mission to make you known. Lord, I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I got two scriptures for us this morning. They're our main scriptures this morning. First one's out of Genesis. I told you, God from the very get-go had a master plan. So if we look, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. If you don't have your Bible, you can see it's up there. Let's read that together. So, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Sets the instructions right off the bat, doesn't he? Ephesians 2.10, if you'll turn in your Bibles to that, this is our second scripture today. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. You know, one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to the church today, and, it's, and really to all of you, is, is to talk about your identity in Christ. You remember we did a series a while back on identity, remember? Do you all remember that? I love talking about that because it's, it's the, one of the biggest things that plagues the church today. They have forgotten who God created them to be. So let me, let me read this to you again out of Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. So before you can get started on the, on the, uh, on the plan, if you will, that master plan, you have to understand that you are God's masterpiece and that he made you to be a part of this work. As I was writing this today, or this week, one of the things that struck me is I just felt like I really wanted to emphasize on this today for somebody. I don't know who you are, but if that's you, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You are not an inferior piece of work. The definition, how many people know, really know what a masterpiece is? It's one of those terms we throw around a lot. But this is what the Oxford Dictionary defines it as. It says, a work of outstanding skill or workmanship. That is how God describes you. Some of you walked in here today and you were like, ah, don't feel like much of a masterpiece. Because that's what you've allowed the world to tell you. That's what you've allowed someone other than the Father, to describe you as. When we go back to our second, or our first verse of it, I want you to hear this. God created you in his image. In his image. Sometimes we look at each other and we, we, we look and we say, man, I just, I don't even know who I am. Anybody ever said that before? I don't know who I am. You know, I, I had the opportunity to, to meet people throughout my life who were adopted or who've gone up in the foster systems and, and, and they talk about their lack of identity. I don't know who I look like. I don't know who I am. And I, I have really good news today because you are created in the image of God. You are his masterpiece and he knew exactly what he was doing. You weren't created by accident. Because God has that master plan. Someone's plan may have gotten a little awry, but you fit right into God's. You know, as I was saying that someone, there was just two points and they're really simple, but I want you to understand that God did not create you by chance or by accident. He didn't just happen to have a little leftover that day and decide that he would bake you. Come on, there's people here that have thought that. Right? Because you have value in God's eyes. He called you a masterpiece and I, I wanted to kind of give you some idea of, of the value of what masterpiece is what a masterpiece value is, if that's how you want to say it. So, Leonardo da Vinci pa painted a picture. 
hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years ago, called the Salvatore Mod. And it's considered a masterpiece, work of art. And in 2017, it became the highest selling ever piece of art. A little bit of canvas and some paint sold for $450 million. Here's what I would say to you. If one little painting created by an imperfect man is that valuable, how valuable and perfect are you created by a perfect creator? But in that piece, when we talk about masterpieces, if your, master, if your God's masterpiece, look over to the person to your right, to your left, and tell them you are God's masterpiece. So how you treat them is how you would treat God's masterpiece. Can you believe it? Because if you believe that, you're God's masterpiece. Guess what? The person next to you, God feels the exact same way about them. You are God's masterpiece and so are they. And that makes them valuable in his, his eyes. Now here's the cool part. Each of us, and the way God thinks of us has a part to play in this mission. And some of you look around or some of you've had that thought, I don't know what part I play. Right? How many of you thought that before? I don't know what part I play. I'm, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm not that. I'm, I don't know what you want from me, God. Anybody ever said that one? Yeah. I've said that. 1 Corinthians 12 14 through 18 says, Yes, the body has many different parts. Not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Oh. Now that you know you're valued by God the creator, you have a place and a role to play. Now we've kind of established that, right? God made you just the way he wanted you. Now you have your role to play. Because some of you are sitting there. I think I saw something this morning that was pretty cool. Steve and his family inviting other people in to take communion with them. And I think there were some things happening over there. You know, a lot of people will look at, at, at the role of the church. They'll come into the church. Well, I'm not Pastor Kelly. Thank God you're not. You're not Pastor Aaron. You're not Pastor Ted. And you think, well, what can I do? But according to this, there only needs to be one Pastor Kelly, one Pastor Aaron. Because each of us are unique. And that was what God intended when he created us. He created us to be unique beings. Those experiences... Those relationships, 
that you felt crippled or defined you, God wants to turn for his good. Because those aren't what define you, just so you know. God calling you his masterpiece is what defines you. But I love what God says. He said it through, through Joseph out of Genesis 50, 20 and 21. He says, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And these are his brothers. So let me, let me give you a little definition of, of, of how his brothers placed value on, on Joseph. They hated him. They sold him. They disposed of him. He was broken by them. And yet God, Joseph says, God will, will use you if you allow him to reflect his goodness. The very man that was disposed of was the very man who brought salvation to his family. Those things that he, you would say define you, broke you, if you allow God to use them, will reflect him. So let's talk about how God unites us in his purpose. Because believe it or not, even if you don't like the person sitting next to you today, God has called you to unity for his purpose. That's a hard theme for a lot of us. Right? It's a hard one. Ephesians 4 talks about this. It's therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God always to be humble and gentle, be patient with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding them yourselves together with peace. Together we're being called out to make God known using those characteristics as our common goal. Guys, when we live under the authority of the Holy Spirit, it allows us to live a united life. Because I got to tell you, we talked about this a little bit last night in our group. And we were having, uh, some of us were getting together and we were talking about one of the people, and I don't want to, I'm not embarrassing them. I don't want to embarrass them. But they were talking about how they felt like maybe sometimes they didn't fit in. Anybody ever feel like they didn't fit in? Yeah. When, when I first came to Sunshine, you guys are awesome, by the way. I love every one of you. But I didn't know that if I fit in. Right? I didn't know. As the same person told me last night, they were like, hey, I, we don't know if we fit. We, we didn't know if we fit in. We're different than you. And, you're, and I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, my I'm different, Pastor, than, than them. I was like, oh, I don't know if I belong here. You know, I was like, oh, goodness. And, and I began to think about that. And I began to think about what unites us. It's God's Holy Spirit. Our experiences aren't the same. Your life is different than mine, Diana. There's a lot more common threads in, than what, what she might know. But what holds us together, what keeps us together is God's Holy Spirit. 
That's what binds us together. That's what allows us to serve and reflect his glory. Ecclesiastics 4 tells us this, 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I tell you guys, I was out, you know, we got the snow a couple weeks ago, right? My backyard drifted up really high, super, super high over our fence. And you all have heard me, if you've been here before, you hear me talk about my dogs. And immediately, one of them went right over the fence. Out they went into the field behind us, off they went. Thankfully, we were able to get them. But I thought, I got to do something about this. And, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out there, put on my car hearts, and I'm going to start trampling down the snow by the fence. I'm not particularly tall. I'm a little bit, you might have noticed, a little pudgy. And I got out there in that snow, and all of a sudden, it's up to here in my car hearts, Nobody's outside. My son is inside laughing, by the way, I think. <laughs> and my wife. And for sure the beagles were laughing. And I'm thinking, I'm in real trouble out here by myself. Because I can't get out. I cannot get out of this snow. And I'm looking for my way to get out. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of actually yelling at the house, Hey, Kelton! You know, I'm thinking, you know, put those big muscles, to, you know, for some reason, for me, you know, come help me out. But let me finish off the verse for you. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When we come together with God as the thread that binds us together, we're set up. To make him known. Because we are at our strongest. You know, I talked a, bit, a little bit last week about relationships. This divorce rate, right? I think the divorce rate right now is, is one in three, one in sometimes one in two marriages. In certain, certain demographics. That, that should offend us. That should offend us. And I can tell you that I can promise you the reason why. Because there's not a third cord in there that binds them together. Amen. That there is nothing that binds them together. Even, as, even beyond that. <laughs> the marriage, our friendship should bind us together. But when we put Christ in the middle of those, oh, we're unbeatable. Sunshine, let me just be honest with you. You guys want to go out here and win the people for the kingdom of Christ together? Unless we put the Holy Spirit in the middle of it, we are going nowhere. Nowhere. We talked about it Sunday school this morning. I don't know, Pastor, if I'll do as eloquent as you said it, but we talked about... Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and, and it talks about how the church grew, and there was three recipes for it. It was, it, was, it was very clear. He said, 
Luke described it as, first they found the fear of the Lord. They learned respect for him and understood who he was. And then the Holy Spirit came and united them. And then they grew. We want to win for the kingdom. That's the very definition of how we do it. And it starts all with the single one chord of the Lord. So we, 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 we think about all of this and, and allowing God into the relationships, that means we allow him to take the lead and set the parameters. Do you know why I like to be in a production controller? It's the very last word of that, by the way. Control. I liked being the lead. But when I want to allow God into the relationship, I have to allow him to take the lead. We talked this week, someone and I on the phone, about allowing God to take the lead. It's the hardest thing sometimes for us to do. Setting the parameters instead of trying to define how God must react. We have to allow him to be in there. Wouldn't be one of my sermons unless I talked a little bit about agriculture. Right? I, I, I think agriculture is important. It's important in the Bible. It talks, Jesus talks about a farmer multiple times. Because where we plant our relationships matters. And it determines how they'll grow and where they will produce fruit. So I have kind of a question for you. If we plant our soil in our own selfish desires, then the fruit that will be produced, will it be selfish fruit or will we bear good fruit? If your marriage is all about you, if your relationship with your children is all about you, what do you expect to come from that? Relationships planted in Christ and based off him, get this, will be strong and have purpose that are not driven by my own desires, my own selfishness. Because you know what happens about selfishness? I don't know none of you believe this. Anybody here ever have a teenager in their house? Their hormones run wild, don't they? And they change day to day to day. Right? They change. Day. But that's who we are. Because sometimes we change day to day to day. How we feel cannot determine what is the source of truth. Because some days, I don't feel that great. Some days, I feel a little ornery. Believe it or not. Ephesians talks about that. It says, I pray from this, his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. This is the farming portion. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
And may you have the power to understand all as God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Because where you planted, where you put your roots at, determine what kind of fruit you produce. Believe it or not. You know, I was listening to a sermon this week and it was talking about the human heart. When the purpose of that relationship, believe it or not, is determined by your human heart, we miss out on all the fullness that God's created us for. Jeremiah 17, 9, 10 says, I loved, I read you last night, last week, Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8, which is my life verse, right? Now, let me follow it up with what it says right after that. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives, and I give people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. When we allow our own hearts to guide us in our relationships, we are allowing our own desires and wants, which are corruptible, to lead us in directions that we're not created for. How many know that when you can't use something that's not, that it's not created for? So I want you to think about this. So if I need to go in, and Steve will laugh because he likes to make fun of my, my home improvement skills. If I try to use a hammer where a screwdriver should be used, I'm not going to get the desired result, am I? I want you to think about that. Because when there's no source of truth, what we get is corrupted results. When there is no source of truth, we, what we get is corrupted results results. So part of my role as a production controller in my life has been to do a lot of metrics. And uh, what I can tell you, if there's not one source of truth, I can pull you any set of data you want. But if I have one source of truth, I can only give you one source of data. Romans 3, 4 says, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. When we allow God to be in the middle of our relationships, our purpose together, we're united in the purpose of reflecting God. This is going to sting a little bit because if your relationships and your unions that you have together go against the word of God, you've taken him out of the role of the center and the creator and you've made it all about you and you have taken the source of truth away which makes it corruptible. Parents, listen up parents because I've been one and I've been this parent. If you are provoking your children, you are taking God out of the control. Husband and wives, if you are not honoring and preferring each other, then you have taken God out of the center. If you're dating and you're doing things 
that you shouldn't be doing, that God said only were for marriage, you, you've taken him out of it. You've taken him out of the center and made it all about you. The easiest way to determine if we're reflecting God, making him known, comes out of Mark chapter 10. Many of you have heard Aaron quote it before. For the, man, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If your relationship means that you're getting served, it's in air. Now, the, the, the best part of this message is, some of you will enjoy this, this is Genesis 128. It says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. And I'm telling you, every married man here just looked at me with that really sly grin, didn't they? All of these guys like, hey, listen up, wife. Hey, you know, hear this part. But I think there's a little bit deeper meaning here. I think God was speaking even deeper than procreation. They were given these instructions were to help them populate the world, right? But he's also directing us how we should live. How we should live our lives being fruitful, multiplying, bringing things into dominion. Because the reality is, guys, for marriage to, to survive, for any relationship to survive, we can't sit around and be lazy. That's, you know, that's the key fundamental. We can't sit around and be lazy. This is how important Jesus felt about that we needed to be fruitful. Out of John 15, I know there's a lot of scripture, but, but God has a lot to say. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown. Yeah, this is the part that stings. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. And then such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and that brings glory to my Father. That means you made the Father known. Well, what does it mean to produce fruit? You know, do I need you to start bringing bananas and oranges to church next week? comes directly out of, of the fact that we are, when we produce fruit, it's a direct magnification of God, showing God's characteristics in our lives. And you think, well, what are God's characteristics? And I thought it was kind of obvious when I started looking at it. Because they're called the fruits of the Spirit. We talked about them last week. I keep bringing them back because these are the very characteristics of God that, that Paul lists in Galatians. Love. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not one of those attributes can be described as self-seeking, can it? Not a single one is about me. And they're the same characteristics that we use to describe God. Well, 
when we step outside of allowing God to be in our unions, when we let, when we take him out of being what unites us, those attributes begin to fade away. They begin to fade away. And that's how we make God known by reflecting those very characteristics. But the last piece of that says that we're to multiply, right? We're supposed to multiply. Luke 16 tells us that in 16, 10 through 12, it says, if you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you aren't trustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Many times we wonder why are we struggling with our relationships, with our children, with our spouses, with our significant others, with our bosses. And we think, why can't I just get along with my wife? Anybody had that one? Don't raise your hand for that one, Brian. <laughs> That was, just let me stick on that one. I'll, I'll follow my sword for that one. Now, now all the parents can say, my, or, or kids can say this, my parents are against me. Anybody ever said that? My parents are against me. Parents, here you go. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm not picking on you guys today. My kids and I are always fighting. Nobody raised their hands on this one. I don't want to know this one. My finances are struggling. Or definitely don't answer this one. I just can't get along with God. Anybody ever said, I just can't get along with you, God? You, I just can't, I don't understand you, you know? If you're having troubles in these relationships, it might be because you're not bearing the fruit of his spirit in them. If you're struggling with your wife, try displaying the characteristics listed in Galatians 5. Start with love. Parents with your children think they're just against me. Start it out with some joy. In some cases, parents self-control. Right? You say, my finances aren't good. Why don't you allow him in there and begin to let your finances show love? Because if your finances are all self-serving, they'll never come together the way you want them to. When we allow God's Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives, it begins to produce fruit in the relationship and then God begins to multiply it. You ever notice that principle of multiplication? If I sow into my wife anger and frustration, guess what I'll get? But when I begin to show her love, that begins to multiply back to me. Because that's the multiplication piece.
When we live with multiplication, then we can finally live that commissioned life where we reflect God's glory, where we make him known. We follow Jesus' command in Matthew 28, 20, where he says, teach these new disciples to obey my commands. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not doing this on your own. For us to make disciples, they have to see it demonstrated in us. They have to see God's glory in us. They have to see us make God known. Is that what your spouse would say about you? That you make God known to them? Parents, would your children say that you make God known to them? And it's not just about your words, just so you know. It's about how we act. Loving one another is shown the most when we reflect God and his attributes, attributes, which is our mission to reflect God's nature for the world to see. That's how we make disciples. Because there is nothing inherently about you that will make people want to follow you. Well, we're going to sum it up today. Heidi helped me with this a little bit. And so I'm going to read it directly from here because she's a much eloquent, more eloquent person than I am. You are God's masterpiece. God intentionally created each of us in his image with value and purpose. Just as a masterpiece has value, so do we. Each of you has a unique role in God's plan, vital for making him known to the world. God unites us in his purpose. We're called to live in unity under Christ, demonstrating, get this, how you live in unity, you demonstrate these characteristics. Humility, gentleness, and love. When God is at the center of our relationships, they flourish and they bear fruit that glorifies him. Showing God's glory by living a fruitful life. As branches of a vine, we must produce fruit reflecting God's characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness in small things will lead us to greater responsibilities and opportunities to make God known. Here's our challenge today. That God, he created, we all heard that, he created each of us uniquely to fulfill his plan. And understanding, we have to understand our value. United in his purpose, we're to boast to bear his fruit that multiplies and makes him known to the world. So I'm going to pray today, and I'm, I'm not going to have a big altar call, because this was more of a lesson, right? This was a, this was a, this was a lesson. And I, what I'm hoping is that you'll, I believe God is speaking to some of you today, and he's asking you to look at your relationships and say, where am I? Where am I at in it today? And if he's not at the center of it, 
all the things that you want to do, all this striving will never get you there. So let's, let's pray. Father, I just pray that today's word would be one, Lord, that strikes close to our heart today. Lord, that we understand today who you created us to be. That, Lord, that, that individualness was called out in us to fit in a plan that was bigger than we could ever do on our own. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to work in us today, Lord. That you would begin to call us out. That you would begin to show us, Lord, where our relationships are lacking. Where our marriages are lacking. God, where we're failing to show and make you known. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to speak to our hearts. Lord, give us fresh vision. Lord, give our marriages and our, our relationship with our friends and our parents and our, our work co-workers, Lord, that you would begin to breathe new life into them. Lord, allowing you to be the center of them. Lord, I just thank you that you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. God, that you would always be in the middle if we just call upon your name. Lord, I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.